What's up, disciples? It's Zach Zender, co-host of The Red Letter Disciple. Be joined in a minute with my co-host, Chris Johnson. And we have a mission on this podcast to challenge you, yeah, you, to be the greatest disciple of Jesus that you can be. Because we believe that when we all live as great disciples, we show the world who the real Jesus is. And that just might change the world. I'm excited about today's guest. His name is Sam Black, and he is the author of The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. We're actually interviewing Sam during the week of his book launch. And and, and so it's pretty awesome to work on something like this and finally see it launch. So we're, we're talking to him. He's a little tired probably this week, but uh, it's it was an awesome conversation. Sam's been working with Covenant Eyes, which is an awesome organization for almost two decades as they help people find freedom through uh, battling and overcoming pornography. So we're going to find Sam. He's got a story to tell. He's got a background in this, um, not just with this story, but almost 20 years of being with Covenant Eyes. And I really believe it's one of the more helpful podcast recordings we've had up to this day because pornography is a major struggle. So many are stuck and it's not something we talk about nearly enough as we probably ought to. And here's what you're going to find. God has freedom for us. And I think that's a perfect message for us on this 4th of July. Let freedom ring. Uh, We're all about freedom today. So to even with our sponsor, Red Letter Living, uh, one of the resources that Red Letter Living has created is called Forgiving Challenge. And at the end of Forgiving Challenge, what is the goal of the entire 40-day challenge? That you would experience the freedom that God has for you. And so we talk about freedom today in the episode with Sam, and we'd love for you to not just uh, hear about it on a you know one hour podcast episode, but rather go through a 40 day journey to not only learn how to forgive others, but to truly receive God's forgiveness for your life. And that's where real freedom comes from. And so pastors, we'd love to partner with your church for a 40 day challenge. Fall is coming up shortly and forgiving challenge is a perfect resource that's gonna help you and your church go deep and explode with real freedom. This 40-day challenge dives into what is God's forgiveness really like? Because once you're forgiven by God, you truly are free. Churches, we've launched a 40-day challenge in more than a thousand churches worldwide. And we know that not only will this particular one bring freedom to your people, but we know it will also grow your small groups by more than 40%, bring unity in a time when there's a lot of division, and it'll also provide you six weeks of done-for-you materials that's going to make a difference. So to find out more about Forgiving Challenge, you can go to forgivingchallenge.com. Pastors, if you want a free copy, just email our team at hello at redletterchallenge.com. We would love to work with you. So with all of that said, it's time for the episode with Sam Black. Let's do this. All right, well, this is gonna be a really helpful episode today. We've got author Sam Black in the house. Sam is the author of The Healing Church, brand new book just came out, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography. Which is everything. (laughs) And how to fix it. So I'm, I'm curious about how to fix it as well. So excited about that. So Sam, if you're asking about who is Sam, he's the director of recovery education. Uh, Sam joined the Covenant Eyes team, uh, an awesome team doing a great thing in 2007 after 18 years as a journalist and has now edited 16 books on the impact of pornography, speaks at parents, men's leaders events, passionate about helping Christians live free from pornography. And as he walks his own grace-filled journey, he gets to help others on their journey. And that's why he's here today. So welcome, Sam, to the Red Letter Disciple. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Good to see you, Zach. 
And yeah. and this will air a little bit after then obviously when we record it, but we're actually recording in book launch week for you. Mm, that's and right. So, yes. hey, talk to me a little bit. We've got some content creators out there yeah. of like what all has gone into book launch for you uh, and your team. Oh my goodness. Are you from the beginning or just from the book <laughs> launch itself? There are just been, go with it. it is, you know, it's been a tremendous experience to travel the country, interview more than 70 ministry leaders, mm. pastors, counselors, to learn how churches are doing this work well. Yeah. And when you discover what we're doing well, then we can talk about, well, there's some things we can improve on. It's pretty easy to poke, yeah. but it is harder to actually go about, find those churches that are doing this work well, and then uh, lean into that. Yeah. And so uh, putting this book together was um was a difficult lift it really was after interviewing more than 70 people for it wow. uh, i did uh read i found more than 70 books during the process of this and uh yeah it was and then when we comes to launch you know it's, this is a first for coveted eyes we've produced a lot of ebooks but this is yeah. our first actual cool. book where you can buy it at uh where we normally buy books online well hmm. congratulations yeah. i know i know what goes into uh, creating material like this. And it's an exciting week when it's finally available. It and is. Holding it is like, ah, it's so amazing getting <laughs> yes. that first book in the mail. And, and what I really love about your book is, man, it's going to help a lot of people. And so blessings on this week for you and you. Uh, obviously the future with Healing Church. And so I, I want to kind of circle back a little bit, though, and, and just from the beginning, like talk to me, why is this topic so important to you that you would not just write a book about it, but really it seems like you've spent your career devoted to helping others overcome pornography. Um, so talk to me about wh why that would be important to you. Well, I had to go through my own recovery journey, and it, it, I've experienced this and experienced what it felt like to hide within the church, and then to find a church that was very safe and created an opening for me to begin a journey to walk and learn to live in freedom. And uh, that was, again, it wasn't an overnight experience. It was a journey for me where I was discipled, where I got to be held in place long enough for the great physician to do his work. In my life. And so as I traveled with Covenant Eyes over 16 years, I found over and over again the repeated mantras that really weren't working for men and women, boys and girls, teens that were being stuck in pornography. They were, were constantly asking the same questions that I ask. Why did I stay here? Why, did, why can't I break free? Why do I keep coming back? How could I really take a real journey toward freedom? And uh, knowing many of the answers there and hearing some not great solutions from ministry leaders who had the best intentions, who wanted to help people find freedom, well, I wanted to help them. Uh, it was truly through, I feel, a, a movement of the Holy Spirit in my own heart that really pushed me forward and said, Sam, instead of just saying, hey, they need to do a better job, show them what works. Show them other churches that are doing this work well so they can model after those other churches. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. Other churches yeah. have already done this work. It's great. 
And, and so the book is entitled The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. And so I do want to get to the church side of it. But first, I want to talk about individuals mm-hmm. um, see and to catch kind of how big or what kind of an issue this is today. And so our podcast, Red Letter Disciple, like it, the goal is to challenge every person to be a greater disciple of Jesus where they are. And so it seems that discipleship and this topic are really related. Uh, Absolutely. I think that we can be the greatest disciples if we're struggling with pornography. And so talk to us about uh, how does pornography hinder that, uh, hinder us from being the greatest disciples we can be? Uh, What are the things it's doing to us that's harmful? Oh, wow. Well, it impacts your mind, body, and spirit. And it is impacting, you know, that people get stuck. I guess that's a good, great place for us to start. How do people get stuck? Because that will kind of outline some more of, of why it's such a pernicious uh, trap. It is first early exposure, long before children know, even often know what pornography is or know the basics of sex. They're seeing graphic pornography today. In 2007, we released the first iPhone. Before that, we had the iPad and we have been walking around with pornography in our pockets for a long time. And even before then, pornography was pretty available to uh, many children. And so the depending on which study you're looking at, the average age for first exposure is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12. Mm. And that you ask just about any adult who's caught trapped within the stronghold of pornography, and they can likely tell you a story about the first time that they saw pornography. They don't remember anything else about that day, but they can literally tell you a story about that, about that, uh, that first exposure. The second part of this, so first is early exposure. Number two is a repetition. And we know that uh, adolescents and teens are among those prolific users of pornography. And it you know, if that neural shock to the brain where dopamine is, is a, a hot, big ingredient for memory, and so it's hard for a child to look away, yeah. and then uh, norepinephrine helps burn those neural pathways in the brain, those emotional experiences, and that's why people don't forget. So that number two, though, is that repetition, the ongoing use, which builds neural pathways in the brain that begin craving it more and more. Yeah. Uh, the third part of this is some drama or trauma, especially early in life, but it can happen elsewhere, where pornography becomes not just something that feels good and is exciting. It becomes uh, something to anesthetize emotions and bad feelings. It's used to regulate their moods. And that was true in my own life. Listen, I listen, I lead a a newcomers meeting for a group called the Samson Society. You can find them at samsonsociety.com. And it is a community of Christian men who are working and supporting one another to uh, overcome something in their life that's bigger than they are. And for the most part, it's pornography and unwanted sexual behaviors. And I hear the same story over and over again, and it sounds just like my story. The early exposure, the ongoing repetition through especially adolescence, and the drama or trauma that they were used that happened in their life. And after enough experience with pornography, it became a tool and escape. And that escapism becomes so impactful on our mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. And, and I, as it, as that cycle keeps going, right. It, it, it fills people that are in the grips of it with not just guilt, but then shame and, 
and lies, and lies that we could, can't possibly, you know, I don't think God's, what God teaches us and the Bible, it can be true because how can I possibly live that way? I don't think I can really live without pornography. Won't I? And don't we hear this taught in the church that we'll always have this ongoing struggle with, and what we need is to not only tackle the issue, knowing that our, we have been harmed, we have been corrupted. Our mind, body, and spirit have been harmed by pornography and corrupted by pornography. So we need a mind, body, spirit experience to take a journey and discipleship to escape pornography as well. Hey, Sam, uh, Chris Johnson here. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to, this is so compelling to me, and I'm so glad that you're here because, I mean, uh, you know the stats better than I do, but there are a lot of people who are addicted to pornography. And I've worked in youth ministry for 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And this is what I saw at the beginning. At the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, 20 years ago, it was generally just young men coming to me who earnestly wanted to break the habit. Right Now, what I've seen in the last few years, young women mm -hmm. uh, coming to me. Whereas uh, I, I don't know like if they were always involved in it or now they're more open about it. But I seem to see almost as many young women struggling with it as young men. You know, all of our data is really outdated for this. All the okay. surveys are outdated. And, but even the most recent data shows that 14% of women are saying they're watching pornography multiple times a week. Okay. And so if it's, but I have heard often from, you know, just individuals saying, well, I think it's much more prolific among uh, girls and young women my age. And yeah. I hear that from them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I believe that has a lot to do with that early exposure that mm -hmm. we've never seen girls have before. Mm -hmm. And so let me take you to a, a, an event where I was speaking and a 15-year-old a, a girl brought her parents to her table and says, hey, I brought my my dad here to sign up for covenant eyes because when i was eight years old i heard some boys say some words that i didn't understand and so i asked my dad for his phone and of course because he believed in my innocence that i would never be curious like he was curious you know most kids are curious yeah. um i looked up with those words and that was the first time that i was exposed to pornography on my dad's phone mm. and so i would go back to that i was so drawn to it and I would ask for my mom and my dad for their phones. And I would just continue to go back again and again and again and again on a regular basis. They never even caught on to this until about two and a half years later. Mm. And that's when they were able to discover it by accident and began to provide me some help. Mm. And she then grabs up a whole bunch of Covenant Eyes flyers and says, hey, I've got so many of my friends who are struggling too. You know, it sounds incredible, right? That that so many of our girls are also being exposed. And I think parents have missed an opportunity here because they're afraid that if they say anything about pornography, then it will just make them curious. Mm. And what I hear from professionals in this field over and over again, and I found it true as well, that when we equip and train our kids, they become more resilient to pornography mm. and not... Uh, more curious. So, and um, go ahead. Yes. Uh, well, you, you brought up a really good point and this is my million dollar question and maybe I'm yeah. jumping ahead, but my, my million dollar question is exactly that. How do we equip? 
how do we equip besides, you know, I know Covenant Eyes is a good tool. Mm -hmm. uh, accountability is a good tool, but like, how do we like, I, okay, I have an 18 year old girl and I have a 15 year old boy. Right. And we've got all the filters. We've got bark. We've got Covenant Eyes. We've got sure. everything. But mm -hmm. outside of that, like, I also know that my kid is way smarter and has a ton of, 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 um, besides his phone, he's got the iPad, he's got the other computer. He's probably got something I don't even know. Uh, how do we equip our kids so that they don't have this lifelong battle with this incredibly powerful, addictive product? Well, let me tell you the first thing you don't do. And that is you don't shame a child or a teen when you've discovered they've been using pornography. Okay. If you want to teach them to hide, shame them. Shame and secrecy are among is is part of that revolving cycle that keeps pushing people back into pornography. So shame is off the table. Uh, you'll never shame a child enough, a teen enough to stop using pornography. Just won't happen. In fact, you'll do the opposite. Sam, what we want. Yeah, go ahead. Before you, before you move forward, because I, I do want to hear what you're going to say. But what is it? So we don't want to shame them. But what does that mean? Because like, do I do we pun like is punishing them, shaming them? Uh, what do you what do you mean by that? Don't shame them. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, thank you. So shame, whatever its impact is, is to create a negative feeling and emotion about who they are. You are a dirty person. I can't believe you would do that. What I, I thought better of you than that. And so that shaming, we there's nothing wrong with saying, uh, son, daughter, uh, I want you to know. And let, let, maybe I'll just have the conversation right yeah. here with you. Just pretend that Zach yeah. did it and he's your son. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> Feel weird, but go, go for ahead. it. Yeah, you know, why not, right? So, right. Yeah. Zach, I just want to let you know that I love you. And uh, I want you to first to know that I, I need to apologize to you. Mm. I am sorry that you were exposed to pornography and, and I haven't had a conversation with you about this. And I should have done this a long time ago. And I didn't know exactly what I should say, but I've recently learned that I should have been communicating with you for about this for a long time. And so, first of all, please forgive me for not equipping you for the day that you would see pornography. I should have prepared you for this day. And I just thought I could put it off. And, and that was the wrong choice on my part. Mm. So I'd really like for us to continue having a conversation about why pornography can be so impactful on your life. Why it can truly impact your brain, impact your future relationships impact your relationship with God, yourself, and others. And so <laughs> I don't know what I'm sounding like I'm preaching, but listen, I've got, I, uh, I think we really should take some time and talk about this. And I know you're probably having a bit of angst about that. And I just don't, I just don't want you to have that. Now I'm going to set aside our devices right now and set those aside for now and let's not use them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's just give ourselves a little break from that. And, and I'm going to do it too. I'm not going to use uh, social media. I'm not going to use my computer. I'm not use my phone for anything except some basic business I have to do to to, to put food on the table. But uh, tomorrow, let's. I just want us to take a break right now and come back and talk about this. And then, zip tomorrow. Hey Zach. <laughs> hey, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
having a slushy is you'd like one of your favorite things to uh, do. He and loves that. Cherry. I, I, so I brought some cherry slushies for us. And I just like for us to sit and talk for a little bit. And I've, I've done a little research and I know this can, there's going to be some information here, but I just want you to understand how this can be impactful for you. Mm. That's good. So, so wait a second. Wait a time out. When do you like, what age can you have that? I mean, that is a very good conversation. I like how you almost, well, you accept the blame. You're like, I should have had this conversation with you. And that's classic parenting. I don't know how your parents handled it, but my- Not in that way. <laughs> the B-talk was like some stupid book at 15 after my buddies had already talked about it, you know? Yeah, but yeah. Um, I like how you accept the blame on that. But honestly, Sam, like- are you saying that you can have that conversation with an 11 year old if they were exposed to pornography or is this like, what age are you thinking here? Oh, you should have this, that kind of conversation when your child is exposed at five, six. Seven, oh, wow. Okay. Nine. Okay. 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 Good. That, that was my question. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. So as when your children are old enough to talk, yeah. they need to know the, the correct name for their body parts. Mm. They need to be able to identify that because so many times when children are describing sexual abuse, mm -hmm. they can't describe what actually what, what was touched or what happened, right? Because we, we add nicknames and right. stuff that don't make any sense at all. Right? right. And so we need to equip our kids to help protect themselves. Okay. So don't shame them. Don't shame but, them. But, but yeah. it's and 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 let me just I'm gonna walk you through this. This is yeah, yeah, this yeah. is please, beautiful. Please. So we're we're starting with the I mean, we're both dads, we both deal, you know. Yeah. yeah, so go ahead. There is a great book, and I don't get any credit for this. I don't get any like kickback on this. I'm just recommending this book. It's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, uh -huh. and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Uh buy that if if you're a pastor, uh set aside this in your budget to buy a copy for every family in your church. So Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Jr. is a read-along book. And it helps them understand what good pictures are, like pictures of their family and their pets. And you know, as you're reading the book, they all go on vacation and they go to the beach where they discover where their bathing suit, you know, they we wear our bathing suits to the beach. They're digging in the sand and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, our bathing suit area is to, to cover our are areas that should be private. And we don't show those others because that would be, we don't want to, that would be inappropriate. We don't want to show our private areas. So we want to make sure our bathing suit area is covered. And if you see an image or video where the bathing suit isn't covered, that's pornography. And when you see that, you can turn, run, and tell. Mm. You turn away, you run and tell. Now you're, Chris, you're looking at me like, uh, Sam, I don't know if I don't know if this can handle. So yes. I was up, I, yeah. I was at an event for the second year in a row. Uh-huh. And a mom comes booking up to my table. I mean, she's yelling from the other side of the auditorium. That's she's awful. running toward me and she says, Sam, I just had I had to come talk to you. I had to come let you know what happened. My seven-year-old was just exposed to pornography. And she's like, Oh, like I'm hoping I'm not going to be hit by a purse. And I do tell the story <laughs> within the book, right? Right, right. And I say, um, okay, well, what happened? She goes, well, my seven-year-old son was at my neighbor's house and their seven-year-old boy had just received an iPad for his birthday. Mm. And he takes this iPad and he puts it in uh, my son's face and says, look what I found. 
Now, this is so common of child-to-child exposure because they don't understand what's going on. They can feel like these emotions that they've never felt, Mm -hmm. but they know that maybe this is a, maybe they shouldn't be doing this, but um, because we're seeing adults and, and they've seen been rushed out of the room for whatever TV show is on. And this is much more than that. Right. So, so this boy shows us, but the boy who's been trained, who's been, uh, having the ongoing conversation to identify his body parts, to have this ongoing comfortable conversation, to do a read along book, looks at his friend, puts his hand up in front of the screen and says, no, that's pornography. And he turns he gets up and runs home and tells his mom and dad what happened. They're excited. They say, oh, we're just so proud of you. Thank you for, for doing exactly what you're told. You just like, yeah. we're just can't imagine how, what a courageous young boy you are, you know, mm-hmm. keeping praise on him. But they let the other parents know what happened, right? That, that kid got in some trouble, didn't he, Zach? <laughs> no, but that, that, that's amazing. That's an amazing right. story. So we're, we're, story's not done yet. Oh. So the, the other parents are like, oh, I never think that my child would be curious. Like I was curious at that age, right? Right. Well, and curious. That's right. just a natural thing. But with a little more investigation, they discovered their child is exposed seven, eight, nine, and 11 year olds throughout the neighborhood to pornography. The only child who has said anything is the child who is trained. Oh my God. All the other children keep it their secret. Yeah, maybe they're they're, they're going to get in trouble or something like that. They're shocked. They're mm-hmm. embarrassed. They're, uh, they're it's their little secret. You yeah. Know? So oh. we need to equip and train our kids not for if they're going to be exposed, but for when. Right. I can't tell you the number of times that I talk to moms and dads says pornography introduction happened on my watch in my kitchen, in my living room, in the backseat of my car. When I handed my phone over to the car to pacify my kids so they could play a game, suddenly uh, the, they were talking in the back and just by accident, I discovered that they were viewing pornography right. in the back of the car while on the vacation trip. This happens over and over and over again. So you bring up how easy and how accessible everything is. I've been working with also some men recently who have been struggling. And Mm -hmm. they said to me, uh, hey, Chris, like um, the problem is I'll go on social media. Right. And and I had no intention to like surf porn. But then I see an image uh, like on Twitter which is almost pornography uh, or Instagram. And then they just like, they're one click away at all times. And I, you know, thinking about my own experience with this, like Mm -hmm. when I was uh, in college, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was a lot tougher to get pornography. Uh, Yeah. You had to be intentional. You had right. to go to the CD shore, uh, store and and go buy a magazine or a tape. And like it was so much effort, it almost discouraged you from even mm-hmm. doing it, right? Sure. Now, like you said, we're carrying this around in our pocket. We're one click away and and our kids have that same power. And, and it is so, you know, if something exists in the world, pornography has been created out of it. The, right. the depravity that has gone across everything you've never even imagined is there. So I don't really talk about all the things that some people talk about, about the individual genres and what's going on. I just right. don't think it matters. Right. What really matters is Jesus said, if you look on a woman of the lust, that's pornography to you. Right. You committed adultery in your heart. 
So whether it is these qualifiers of this is pornography or this is not pornography doesn't matter to me. Right. You're looking with lust and you're already hooked. That's right. And so what, you know, how many uh, older men have I talked to that said the JCPenney catalog that came in the mail or the Victoria's Secret catalog Mm -hmm. that came in later years, that was their childhood pornography. Right. Right. So uh, we condition our hearts, minds, and brains with our hearts, minds, and spirit with, with pornography. And we reap very difficult uh, circumstances. Very it's, we, we create a cage of our own making and we lay it block by block and bar by bar. And we lock the key to the door. We lock the lock and we throw away the key. And by the way, nobody keeps the key. Mm. And Zach, Chris, what I need is for you to come alongside me and help me open that door because left to my own devices, I will talk about how much I want to escape pornography and I might set up some little window dressing on the, my bars, but I'm still stuck. Right. I'm just stuck. I need, I need you to walk alongside me and give me some safe discipleship with a safe process that helps me take one step at a time toward a life that lives in true and total freedom. And I want you to know that's a real thing. Yeah. Now, listen, left to my own devices, I will, I will maybe, you know, you, maybe you come over there and you help me take that first step. But I don't stick to that process. I don't stick to the discipleship. Mm-hmm. I want to go, oh, you know, we had that uh, nice prayer and we had that Bible study that we did and we did that little thing for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not really healed. And so I go back to what is familiar. Yeah. I'll go back to my own understanding versus God's understanding of what he wants in my life. And I can wear a hole in the middle of my cage, just worry, just trying harder and harder. Maybe I can set up some filtering or some accountability software. But what I also need is to understand how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay here? And how can I begin breaking free? And there's a brand new app from Covenant Eyes called the Victory App by Covenant Eyes. There's more than 30 courses in there with audio as well. And it walks you through those that understanding, because understanding precedes or, or knowledge precedes understanding and understanding precedes change. Mm. And when we get a better understanding of why do I keep coming back? Why do I seem to stay stuck here? How can I really begin breaking free? And Chris, Zach, you're walking along with me. You're yeah. reading that material as well. And now you're the whole, uh, there's a deeper understanding. Oh, there's a real brain chemistry going on. So maybe I need to really take a break from my phone, even if it takes going to a flip phone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I've seen people do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you set some things in place. And and when, when I've had a bad day and I come home and I've, and I've used pornography and, and you go, Hey Sam, what happened? And I go, well, you know, I had a bad day and I just got angry and I, I had, I used pornography. Anger is a common trigger. Yeah. A halt is one of those common phrases that people say, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are common triggers for pornography or alcohol or any number of things. But Chris, you're smarter than that. And you, you've you been reading the material in the Victory app and you say, oh, Sam, let's go a little deeper than just you being, you know, having a bad day. What what happened? Oh, my boss yelled at me and I, I got upset. And well, okay, well, what would that 
what did that feel like? Oh, well, I felt like, you know, when I was a kid and my dad would yell at me and shame me and I was in a, okay, well, okay. So you, you need to identify the, that then. So the next time you have a conflict and you feel that emotion that I don't have self-worth, I doubt myself, um, I'm angry, identify, name that, call that out. And then call me. Hey, I'm feeling, Chris, I'm feeling really angry and upset. And I'm feeling a little triggered. Mm. And now we're going to, through that, we're going to make a different decision, a different way to manage my moods, manage my bad feelings, uh, rather than being trapped in this cycle of shame where I try really hard for a while. I've got a coin around here somewhere. I keep it on my desk just for this kind of thought. But on one side of the coin is I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to stay away from pornography. And then after so long, I can only keep that perfectionism up so long. And I flip that coin because I get triggered with being what I call C triggers or SEE, social, emotional, or environmental triggers. Mm-hmm. And maybe I saw something on the internet and that just kind of prompted that, that stinking thinking in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I, I act out with pornography and then I feel this horrible shame about right. it. Right. Self, what I call self-hatred at my expense, mm. shame, self-hatred at my expense. Good. And then uh, uh, after, you know, I wallow in that shame for a while, then I'll, I'll get back on track and I'll try harder. We need to break this cycle. We need to lean on each other. And that discipleship process really does more than just simply uh, say, um, let's read scripture a little more and let's say say a prayer. Because those are vital. I don't want to downplay that at all. That is super valuable. But understanding that I didn't get here overnight and I'm not going to break free overnight. And Christ is asking me to take a journey with the body of Christ to lean on one another. You know, James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. But we have a really tough time of doing that in the church. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, what part of James 5.16 do we not believe? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's good. So I want to talk through, you know, I heard a couple things in there. Uh, so far with, you know, we, we talk about how to get, how, how we've gotten stuck and that cycle we yeah. can get in, but mm-hmm. how then we can break free. And, um, and so to the two things that you have touched on a little bit, first is like the neuroplasticity side of it. So the brain mm-hmm. stuff, I want to talk through that, but then yeah. also the, you talk in your book about the power of allies. Um, and so I want to, want to get to there too, but first walk me through the neuroplasticity side, which, which can be towards our detriment or it also yeah, can yeah. be towards our benefit. Right. And we've right. already kind of talked about the, the detriment side of the cycle and you creating these triggers and these systems that you, you just get caught up in it and it's the same cycle. And so you find yourself there. Uh, there is a way though, that that's that same neuroplasticity can help us. Is, is that true? Absolutely. That's absolutely true. You know, God designed our brains. And so often we want to just spiritualize this over spiritualize it, I should say. But we have to understand that God designed our bodies. And remember that early exposure we were talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, that brain is has a, a uh, that part, the feeling part of that brain that young brain is very well developed. And it 
yet you can you notice that children are can be very expressive and happy or sad or uh, you know they they have trouble controlling their emotions sometimes that because that feeling brain is is working well but the prefrontal cortex of the brain the decision making executive functioning of the brain is not doesn't fully develop until the late 20s so you when a child sees that pornography it lights up the feeling and emotional states of the brain the dopamine gives a little spritz of something that feels good dopamine also focuses your attention and so when you talk about brain plasticity it works in combination with that we used to think well plasticity simply means that the brain is more plastic than it is ceramic yeah. it used to be thought that when you uh got to a certain age that your brain was just hardened and it would never change you can't teach an old dog new tricks mm -hmm. but we have what neuroscientists have shown us is that we can actually learn new habits throughout our lifetime even into old age and new behaviors, et cetera. So when we uh, are entering this sphere, we understand that the brain was formed with some pornography at an early age. And now we have to do some work to focus on good, healthy, God-pleasing habits, ignore the sinful habits, and God begins to renew the mind. Yeah. We're actually renewing our brain. It's part of it. I believe it 100% that that renewal is part of this plan. Yeah. Um, the, uh, that child's brain also has more mirror neurons. It, it's why children learn faster and why that is so impactful on that young brain. So uh, mirror neurons are like um, you see a batter getting hit with a ball and you flinch. Mm. Those are mirror neurons at work. It helps you feel whatever you see. It feels like you're doing it. So when you see a runner across the finish line, your heart races. Mm. So those all became very impactful for that young brain. And now we have to do some considerable work with an older brain who's traveled with that repetition over time, creating neural pathways that seek and desire pornography. And that brain has become very sensitive to anything that might lead them to pornography. It's also become desensitized. In other words, it's chasing the original high. Uh, what used to be exciting isn't exciting as, as exciting. So the brain becomes, wants something new and fresh. Dopamine loves novelty, something not seen before. Yeah. And so people say they will it's often said that pornography will take you places you never thought you'd go, do things you never thought you'd do, spend money you never thought you'd spend, harm people you never thought you'd hurt, pay a price that you never thought you'd pay. Hmm. Because of that desensitization and that desire for more. So if you've expanded that, those pathways for different means of being excited by pornography, you have to understand that you've got some real work to do to form new neural pathways. So if that means getting a flip phone, so it's harder to get access to pornography, if that means uh, having an ally that you call every day for 30 days, if that means going to a Samson Society meeting at samsonsociety.com, uh, 30, uh, 30 days and 30 meetings, then you need to do what you need to do and get really serious. Do I really want this out of my life? 
or am I just going to be satisfied with the status quo? It's good. So walk me through, I, I see in the book that, you know, I've heard of the term used a lot, accountability partner, but you've chosen a different word, ally. And yeah. so is, is that with intention? Is it the same thing? Is it different? Um, where, do, where, do, where does the word ally come from? And I what does that look like to be an ally? Ally somebody? sounds a lot nicer. <laughs> it does, doesn't it sound nicer? Yeah, uh, I'd rather have an ally than yeah. someone yeah. well, an ally, you did. <laughs> <laughs> an heard. ally has your back, right? An ally uh, wants what your goal is to be true. They want to see, they want a vision. They look at your vision and say, I not only believe in your vision to be pornography free, I, I want to help you get there. I'm your, I want to be your friend to do this well. An accountability partner, it, I don't think it's a wrong word, sure, but it's just been, accountability has been one of those words that's been really corrupted mm-hmm. in that we hold someone accountable. We we never think about uh, an accountability in in our general sphere. I'm going to hold someone accountable as oh, they really care about me, right? <laughs> right? They, well, when you hear about that at work, like I'm going to hold you accountable, it's like punishment. Almost. Yeah, right. So it doesn't sound like very friendly. On your side, like rooting for you. It's it's like oh crap, I didn't finish this project. <laughs> you know, I was supposed to have due, right. You know, an ally is someone that I can trust with my deepest fears, my deepest hurts, my deepest histories, uh, what I'm struggling with today. Mm. And they're not there to bash me or tell me how bad I'm doing. They're there to support me and and help me uh, take one step at a time through a process that they know that I'm, I'm really struggling hard with this. I don't want this in my life. And so... so- yeah. That ally relationship is really one that becomes, um, there are, what's the proverb say? There's a man of many friends, but there's one who sticks closer than a brother. Mm. That's what an ally should be for you. That's good. So in the, in the book, you mentioned that the ally in the ally section that you would recommend a spouse not be an ally. And, you know, we've talked a lot about teenagers and kids and early exposure. And, and obviously there there's real issue there, but let's get real. Uh, many adults struggle with this too, many married adults. And so uh, I'm just curious, like wh- why is that any research or study to back that up? Uh, I mean, if that is the case, like what is the role of a spouse then in the regard to fight against pornography to find freedom? Yeah. Well, that's, there's a lot packed in there. <laughs> right there's a there's a lot parked in there because often the spouse is hurting but gets very little help from the church often the spouse uh is ignored by everybody and and he or she is saying man i'm i'm the one that's being betrayed here i feel insecure in my rela- my relationship uh he or she has been watching pornography and and maybe in chat rooms or maybe this has gone in even into an affair and other things have happened or one night stands, whatever is going on. And that those are big feelings and big hurts of betrayal in their life. And they need some support as well. Now, it doesn't affect every spouse in the same exact way. I'm not trying to say it does. But here's what I think about when it comes to a, a spouse should have a role to say in who an ally should be for the other. Mm. Uh my wife might say, hey, uh, I might say, hey, Jim, I think he's a would be a great 
ally. And she goes, no way. He <laughs> is just a good old boy. He always has your back. That's not the way, way it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, how about Zach? Zach is someone I, I can trust to. Mm. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just, Zach, you know, you got, you're not, uh, you're not getting a lot of help over there. I know. I know. It's, you know, I give the guy a beautiful jacket. Oh, I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> but Zach, you pointed it out the jacket, right? It, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You should get, you should get that jacket. <laughs> do you notice? Uh, That's what a real ally would do. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sam, do you ever notice this? This is what I get a lot. Um, and maybe I, I like the guy justifies it you know like yeah. um so he'll be like uh my wife hasn't been affectionate for six months i mean i don't want to cheat so you know they like they justify it and they try to rationalize it as it's better than the alternative. uh yeah. the alternative and you know i'm like it's still not the answer pal like uh, you know I, I that's what i've noticed like they'll come to me with guilt right and then immediately the guilt switches to justification as to why they're doing it. And blame. Yeah, totally. And, blame. and, and minimizing. Yes. It's not that and, big of a deal. Right? And lying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you think they believe that or like, uh, like, I, I don't know. It, it's tough when, you know, they come to you and they're, you know, they feel like semi repentant, like they know they're disgusted by what they do, but then immediately mm -hmm. they start minimizing and justifying and, yeah. and, I think it's, it's, it's hard, be, you know, especially if this is, um, we have not created a, a lot of authenticity often in our relationships in the church. Mm -hmm. Often the church is a place that we want to look good and we've, be, it's become institutions of respectability rather than a hospital where the great physician can do his work. Right. And right. when we, um, this has been found true even in counseling where people lie to the person that they're paying, <laughs> right? They're, you're going to see a counselor, you're paying them to see them and people are lying to them. And I talk about this in the book. So why is that happening? They don't want you to look at them mm -hmm. or think as badly. I don't want you to think badly about me. Right. I don't want you to know how just bad it hurts. I don't want you to know how bad it's been. I don't want you to know how long it's gone on. Mm -hmm. And until often what happens, I've found as I mentor men, that when I tell my story first with authenticity, I become the safest person they know. Mm -hmm. And when I say, hey, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was exposed to pornography. And I didn't even understand the basic mechanics of sex that um, I remember walking out of my, my uh, our home in Florida and my, my brother standing there, who's nine years older than me. And he, they were looking at a magazine sideways and it didn't make any sense. Mm. And, uh, they, uh, they flipped around when I asked what they were looking at and, and I'd never seen someone unclothed before. And even though I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't step away. I stepped forward because I was naturally curious. And I had a friend and his dad had pornography that was stacked up in this closet with a shelf that was just packed tall. It looked sort of like a waterfall because it's kind of piling over and there was a pile of it on the floor and I could take anything I wanted and I did. And pornography would follow me through middle school to high school and to college and I uh, ended my marriage. And it was only through a safe place 
in a safe church where I learned that pornography could be addictive and compulsive. And that was a great relief. It meant that evolution made me make me this way because I'd become almost agnostic in this, uh, that uh, God didn't make me this way. I didn't have to stay this way. But I would repeatedly go to pornography, see things I never wanted to see, do things I never wanted to participate on online. And I want you to know that I know what it's like to walk this. Now, not everybody can say that, right? But we've all had something in our lives that we've used to anesthetize our emotions and um, our feelings and regulate our moods. And and that's become some not always a stronghold, but we've struggled in some way. And reassuring them and saying, listen, I want you to know that what you're going to say is... You know, we're not going to put anybody in harm, but I I want us to be honest with each other. I want you to create some honesty in your marriage. And we may have to take first one step at a time here, but we're going to find some real authenticity together. Would you be willing to walk with me on that? Because that authenticity uh, builds an intimate connection that is contagious and empowering. And within a safe place, people hear you are a person and not a problem. And your identity is found in Christ and not in your sin. Mm-hmm. All, so often people enter this process. Uh, and, and I encourage you to use a process through Covenant Eyes, many resources for this, as well as uh, Pure Desire and Be Broken and other organizations that provide great tools that you can use. And I outlined those in the book. And when they go through that process, when they really go through that discipleship, where they learn to be honest, then they come out on the other side excited. They go on fire for Christ. They become that when you, when we disciple, we create disciples and those disciples create other disciples. I saw that through every church that was doing this work well that every pastor said, you know, uh, I don't do more work now. I do less. <laughs> that so, when, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, so you've mentioned that a couple of times, mm-hmm. the difference between some churches that are doing it well and some churches that aren't doing it well. Yeah. What's the major difference between a church who is walking along somebody that's struggling yeah. with this and doing it well, as opposed to not doing it well? Is it simply the church that's not doing it well is shaming those people or what? what's the difference? Seven percent of churches do anything at all oh. to, to help. Seven so, percent do something to help. Seven percent of churches do anything at all to directly address pornography in the church. Most, most just aren't. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Is ninety-three. So the biggest problem is most people do nothing. It's again. We talked about. Hey, can I really talk about this? You know, I just talk. I, I have a pastor um, in my neighborhood. And uh, he said, hey, Sam, I just, I went, we were, I was walking my dogs and he's driving by and he says, hey, Sam, I want you to know I, I was at a, a regional pastor's conference and one of the, my pastors in my denomination held up your book and said, hey, did you, have you seen this? And he goes, oh, yeah. In fact, I know the guy who wrote it. He goes, oh, should we be talking about this in the church? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what he said, too. Thank you for, for repeating that, Chris. Yeah. So. One, we need to lean in because we've been so afraid. And and let's face it, our congregations haven't been so nice to pastors who want to talk about these issues either. It's true. I, I, I was speaking to a pastor 
And he said, now, listen, Sam, I want you to understand something where you're asking me to begin teaching about the issues of pornography, be training my parents and other things. Listen, I said the word prostitute while I was reading scripture, <laughs> uh, talking about Rahab. I, awesome. I, I was reading scripture right. that used the word prostitute, and I got bawled out yeah. by members of my congregation for saying that too, yeah. Right. So we need to tell our, our congregation to grow up a little bit too, because, and they need to yeah, understand just how, yeah, 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 just how impactful this is to the church. Right. Uh, it's not like they didn't know what the word meant. Mm. Right. <laughs> so, um, what I tried to spell out for the local church, how can we do this? Well, what were, what are some first steps you can do? And so I broke this down based on what we had seen other churches begin in their work. And we created very, what I call easy steps. Maybe you may even want to call it the easy button. The easy steps where it's, it becomes a very handoff. You're aware of resources that you're available to hand in the moment. Yeah. From those people, you often find that becomes one of the first folks be, as they're being discipled to become your next leader, mm. your next discipler. Right. But um, those are, that's a first easy handoff. And then I break it down to small lifts medium lifts and large lifts and one can build on top of the other but uh, a big part of that you know those those i outline that very well in the book it's too long to talk about okay, here cool, cool. but part of that uh as well as some other chapters talk about how the pastor can create culture yeah because he needs some allies below him in the congregation to help support this initiative but if someone with in the congregation is trying, a lay person is trying to do it, they'll reach a ceiling. They'll only get so far without a pastor, ministry leader who's saying, hey, I'm on board with this and I'm going to not just be permissional. I'm not right. just going to give you permission to do this work. I'm intentional. And now that that ceiling rises where more men, more women, more teens say, oh, this is safe. I can actually talk about what I've been struggling with. And so we create those safe places within the church and they just begin to continue to grow. And so I've suddenly you can actually have a safe church instead of just a safe pocket. So if I understand you correctly, it's not like you're doing a four-week sermon series on pornography, but you're saying maybe from the pulpit, hey, we understand this is a problem. And if they, I, we also understand that it's kind of sensitive. Like if you're struggling with this, I want you to email me. I want you to talk to me because we're kind of forming a group where we're really walking through that. I mean, help. I, I know I'm going to read your book here, The Healing Church. <laughs> yes. but, Thank uh, you. But uh, – is that what I'm hearing or am I off on this? Well, that is one among these steps. And okay. again, it takes a lot to really outline everything that a church can do. And yeah. it's going to be dependent on your congregation. Uh, where yeah, where yeah. are you at? Right. So that's why uh, there's some nuance to all of that. But I, I also recently met with a, a team in Atlanta and we began, okay, so we map it out pretty well within the healing church, how you can begin taking these steps to create culture and create safety cool. uh, where, where safety grows. Okay. But we, I, I'm breaking it down even further as an addendum to the book that should be coming out. I'm thinking uh, my hope is to have it available in September. Where it is so that you can called a more healing church? What are you doing? <laughs> and what we did was break it down like just 
baby step stuff. Oh, cool. Great. Cool. Right. So to make yeah. it even, even easier. Awesome. But uh, I think it's imperative that we think about our church overall. Is it, is it being safe? Mm. Is it also asking, calling us to a higher purpose? Mm. Because on, I see this on a spectrum and on one side of the spectrum is it's a very safe church. It's okay to come as you are. You're just not challenged to follow Christ. Right. Right. On the other side, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have any problems. On the other side of that spectrum, you should just be, once you're a Christian, yeah. all things are made new. Right, right. And if you have any problems, then maybe you don't love God. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. if maybe you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's, there's like a number of things that depending sure. on your theology, what might be the issue with you? It's like Job's friend coming to him. <laughs> like, what did you do? How, what sins did you commit? <laughs> right. And what we need is a safe place with a safe process where people can lean in yeah. and find the healing and support that they need. Sam, I'm where sure. it's okay to come as you are, but it's not okay to stay as you are. Because ah, we're a hospital. We, yeah. we improve. We get come better. On. Come on. Uh, Sam, I'm curious. You've been yeah. in this field for 18 years working with Covenant Eyes and read edited a ton of books you've now written your own was what was was there one thing that even in the midst of your almost couple of decades into this that like just surprised you or that you know you just kind of had to do a double take or think about oh you know here was one i you know i sort of figured that my struggle was different from everybody else's struggle and uh, i had a counselor say this to me he said uh, food and sex are among the most difficult addictions because we need food and we are sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And you can stop uh, using alcohol or drugs, but sex and food are issues that must be be tempered and redeemed and renewed. Mm -hmm. And that was that was that was eye opening for me because, and I found that many people don't think of, and 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 so I had a, a, a another church leader. Uh, she actually does work with food addiction. And she said, she called, uh, texted me one day and says, don't you think that food addiction and porn addiction are very similar? <laughs> I said, indeed. In fact, you're not the first one to say that to me. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a little bit of surprise for me. But yeah. one of those is not culturally, you're not going to get in trouble for it. And right. that's right. You look down right. upon. Yeah. Or at least in the church. But sure. maybe it creates a little more empathy for sure why people are struggling in the same way, same way that people are struggling with food to anesthetize their, their emotions. Yeah. yeah. They're doing the same thing with pornography. Right. Yeah. So Sam, we, uh, we ask all of our uh, guests, this final question. Um, this is a podcast ult ultimately to challenge people to be greater disciples mm -hmm. every, you know, wherever they are. And so if you could challenge our listeners with one thing that they could do practically this week to be a greater disciple, what, what would you challenge? I got it. Stop watching porn. All right. Have a good night. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> um, I think part of it is to be the friend you would like to have be the disciple to someone else that you would like to, to have in your own life. And that doesn't mean you have everything figured out. Yeah. In fact, you might be struggling right now. So part of that is being open and, and honest and, and testing that, testing who might be a safe person for you to talk to. And then uh, you might discover that they find some, they have some struggles of their own too. 
and not to be satisfied with where you're at, <laughs> but to then we, we, if we're going to be discipled, we need to hear God's word. We need to understand what, how it can impact our lives. We need that safe process that really helps us lean in instead of being satisfied with the status quo. Love it. Awesome. Listeners, if you take on that challenge this week to be the friend that you wish you had um, for somebody else, um, let us know. Hashtag Red Letter Disciple. We want to be praying for you. I'm going to do Are you going to do that for you. me? I'm wow, it's about, it's about time. But I think that's there's beauty in that, Sam, because with this particular issue, it, it's amazing how the devil lies where mm. people can get stuck in this and can have lustful thoughts and fall into this and think that they're alone. And it's and like, it's, it's you are that. so not even close to being alone right. in this. Yeah. So many people struggle. Right. And one of the best things we can do is bring it to light, talk about well, it. And it's embarrassing, right? Like, yeah. unless you have an authentic relationship with somebody you're not just going to go up to him and say, wow, I'm really struggling with porn, man. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't suggest that no. as uh, an opener, but anyway, Sam, you've been a real blessing. Where can people find out more about you and the healing church? Yeah. Go visit the healing and you can download the first chapter for free. And then if you'd like to buy the book, you can buy the book wherever you buy books online. There you go. Cool. I love it. Thehealingchurch.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. I want to thank you, Sam, for leading uh, an important conversation and a conversation that many avoid uh, and that I know is going to bring uh, the light, um, the light of Christ to a lot of people's dark situations. And you can have light after darkness and you can overcome and you can find freedom and your uh, your episode today really is going to help a lot of people. Yeah, do thank that. you so, so much, Sam. Appreciate, appreciate you, man. And hope you get some sleep on the rest of book launch <laughs> right. week. And, and you have to go on a great vacation next week. Amen. All right. Amen. That sounds great. Thank you. God bless you, bud. God bless. Thanks. God bless you. Well, you heard it, folks. Not only was Sam incredibly helpful in helping us on our journey to freedom, but I also just turned into an old man going into my 40s. Lord, help me. (laughs) Hey, we had a lot of fun. If you want to get to know Sam more or our sponsor, which was the Forgiving Challenge, check out redletterpodcast.com. We've got links for the Healing Church, for a lot of things that Covenant Eyes is doing, and of course, for helping you pastors go deeper in finding freedom in your church through Forgiving Challenge. If you like this podcast, if it's helpful, we truly would love for you to give us a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in helping get the word out so we can help others. Next week, we have a really great guest. His name is Patrick O'Connell. He is the global director of New Thing, an awesome organization that, that catalyzes church movements across the globe. So he's got a really good sort of landscape on what's happening in Christianity and discipleship around the nation and the world. And we're going to talk with Patrick about what it does look like to be a disciple in America today, what we can learn from disciples overseas, and and changing the scorecard for what's important in living out our lives as Jesus followers today. Super helpful conversation. Don't miss it. You don't miss it when you subscribe or follow uh, wherever you're listening or watching to the podcast. With all that said, we'll see you back for next week on The Red Letter Disciple. Have a great 4th of July. A Huda Media Production.